0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, you are looking unshaven and very relaxed. We're recording while I'm still in Texas, but you have escaped the heat of New York City in the summer and are now in the Arctic Circle, is that right?
1: That's right. Uh, the zombie apocalypse actually began in New York City, so get ready, Texas. Um, but uh, and we escaped to the Catskill Mountains, so we're up here for a couple of weeks for some R and R. But um, nevertheless, be be ready in season and out, as St. Peter says. So we uh, continue. Yep. With the same old song. Well, you know what we're
0: we're uh, we're experiencing? Obviously, a major rise in Texas right now. So. You know, New York was ahead of us, but we're going to, we're sort of in in big cities like Houston and Austin, very much headed to the same kind of situation that y'all were in in the early spring. So definitely, everybody, keep praying out there. Preachers, if you're still doing online worship, or maybe some of you are able to do some limited in-person gatherings. Uh, we salute you and applaud you for your continued work of preaching the gospel, wherever you are, for your people in this unprecedented context, and at least unprecedented in our lifetimes. And if uh, if you are not a preacher and just a listener, we are glad that you're with us as well. So we dig in to Genesis as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis uh, for this seventh Sunday after Pentecost. And we are looking at also the Gospel of Matthew, and between those two, we got Romans chapter eight as we continue to hang out with Saint Paul. So, uh, so let's let's jump in Genesis 28. Jacob sleeping on a rock for a pillow uh, on the ground, and this is the origin of that uh, my son's favorite Rush song entitled Jacob's Ladder. Which is a song. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a song in three movements uh, about a storm, and uh, yeah, it's it's sort of about seeing with this passage in Genesis. It's about you know angels uh, ascending and descending and kind of in the clouds and all that sort of stuff. So,
1: anyways. Boy, y- your son strikes me as very cool. That is great that he's into Rush. <laughs> the acorn doesn't fall is too far also from into- the tree. <laughs> Is he also into Dungeons and Dragons? So Yes,
0: and he has no <laughs> friends. No, that's... that's D&D good. is cool now. Stranger Things <laughs> made I'm it mad. cool. I played it once. But, it was um, neat, but...
1: So, um, yeah, so you have Jacob, and uh, the setting basically right here is that he has just escaped um, his brother Esau. He's uh, stolen the birthright, and uh, he is... Um, uh, and his father's blessing, and he has now escaped um, under his... Um, under his mother's direction. And I mean, this is very uh, soap opera, telenovela, as they would say in Mexico. And, um, and, uh, you know, and you see really the tension here. And uh, Jacob has left to uh, go find a wife um, uh, from his uh, father and mother's homeland. And uh, there he is. And he's in the middle of the desert and he's decided to camp out.
0: That's right. And to him, it just looks like any old place. He's just lying there. And I got his rock for a pillow. Not my pillow. He's got rock pillow, as uh, you have not seen on TV. And he's laying there and God shows up in a dream and says, and, you know, first he sees these angels ascending and descending. And this is supposed to indicate the fact that the divine world, the supernatural world, is always present it's just that we usually can't see it. Uh, we just watched Thor, the Dark World, the second Thor movie. Oh, it's good. And it shows good, the, you know, these nine realms of the universe kind of coming in alignment. And when that happens, you can sort of see through the Earth's atmosphere to see all these other worlds and realms that were there all the time. You just could never see it. Pick your cheesy analogy. But that's what's happening here, that these uh, uh, these... The, the angels are uh, are are made visible to Jacob.
1: Also, another interesting tidbit is that this word ladder here is the same word used for the Tower of Babel, and um, and you know and uh, this time instead of the um, Jacob building the tower and meeting God, God is coming down to meet Jacob, and uh, this is an interesting like tidbit too, and a kind of a preaching note is that. Um, God always comes and meets not the uh, qualified, but he always comes and meets the unqualified. And here he is meeting this slippery, slippery man right where he's at in the middle of the desert, all by himself. And what's going to happen is God is going to choose him. And uh, God is going to give him uh, three, uh, basically, um, give him three promises, the same promises he gave to Abraham, his grandfather, and the same promise that he gave to Isaac, his father. And uh, those promises would be, and notice he's not married yet, but that God will give Jacob the land, that Jacob's offspring will populate the land, and then three, all will be blessed through Jacob. So you see this continuation coming through. Um, so uh, God is not, quali- God's not choosing the good here. Mm. God, is, uh, God is electing and God is, um, God is choosing that who the world would say is unqualified and meeting them right where they're at.
0: That's right, and we saw that obviously, uh, if you've been reading the Book of Genesis, same with Moses, same with Abraham, same with all these people, and Jacob's response is to uh, to worship. Uh, you know, when you are a sinner and are aware of it, and nevertheless God shows up in your life to reaffirm His gracious promises, which is what He does for Jacob here. Uh, you you say thank you, and you you get this when Jacob wakes up and says, "How awesome yeah. is this place? This is the house of God." And he he renames in verse twenty, er, verse nineteen, he, he renames the place Beth El, Beit El, which is uh, the house of God, the house of the Lord. So because he says that in verse seventeen, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, and this is again um, sort of a you know we've talked before about the Nazareth principle, right? Like. God can show up in places that the world thinks are insignificant, unimportant, and overlooked. And here, in a normal-looking, random, mundane desert, this actually is the gate of heaven. Also illustrated in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when they're looking for the the Holy Grail, which chalice do you pick? The big fancy one encrusted with jewels, the gold shiny one? Nope. Or the little cup of the carpenter, the little wooden cup? And it's the wooden cup. And this is where God is working in your life, by the way people. Uh, He's working in uh, the things that you think are the shameful things, the dark things, the hidden things, the parts of your life you don't want anybody to know about. That's where God is working.
1: Yeah, this has been, um, and this really, I think, speaks powerfully to kind of the situation that we're in, is also, um, it's God that makes the place holy. How awesome is this place? You know, um, Jacob says, uh, not because um, Jacob made it holy, but because God has made it holy. And really in this time of quarantine, you know what I mean? Um, you know, I know we, we've had a lot of pressure for folks from folks for us to reopen immediately and things like that, and we're, we're taking our time on that. And to remember that it's not so much kind of the, um, the place that we declare holy, but rather where God meets us in his word, and uh, he can meet us absolutely anywhere, coming to us um, right where we're at. Um, And he makes those places holy. So your living room can be a sanctuary uh, during this time. Your kitchen can be a sanctuary because uh, uh, God has um, met you right where you're at.
0: Amen. Well, uh, yeah, and that reminds me, what's that monk who would practice the presence of God while washing dishes? Oh,
1: Brother Lawrence of the
0: Resurrection. There you go. I knew you'd know it, Jake, (laughs) my secret Anglo-Catholic friend. Just kidding
1: yeah watch out watch out for that stuff you know it's true whenever you um, you can tell someone in your congregation is losing uh, the gospel is that all of a sudden you'll see Thomas a Kempis uh, right on their table the imitations of Christ and uh, you know tell the repeat them to the gospel at that moment say you know your sins are forgiven and uh, God has made you holy um, because he has um, uh, he's taken on your sins not because you're imitating him. So anyway, praise God. And, and, Let's no, go to Romans. And, and let me,
0: I'll add some marginal notes to Jake's <laughs> inflammatory comments and just say what you're referring to, Jake, not that there's anything wrong with Thomas a Kempis or trying to be uh, someone who's imitating the life of Christ, but the problem comes when you think you actually can imitate the life of Christ. Um, Christ right. can do that through you, through the Holy Spirit, but I've never known a human being who is not fallen prey to the temptation of thinking they can do it on their own. And the second you start down that path, there is a risk there of thinking, oh, look at me. I mean, human beings, were so self-referential, we're so self-absorbed that we, our spiritual life, we will often make it about ourselves. And so uh, if you try that, great. But just when you realize that you have made it about yourself, come back, as Jake says, to the gospel and, uh, and rest in him.
1: I've got a great, um, I've been budget. reading, I've been reading a, um, a great biography, Luther, the reformer, the story of the man and his career by uh, James M. Kittleson. And he says this, it's really uh, powerful. He says, um, Luther's new understanding of a Christian as being both righteous and sinful at the same time worked a revolution. Christians lived in faith and hope. Those who were truly faithful were always beginning the walk of faith and had never reached its goal. Uh, That's the difference between Luther and Kempis. Good deeds, in particular acts of love for one's neighbor, were part of this life, but neither they nor spiritual exercises added anything to faith, which was created and constantly refreshed by the word. Consequently, those who were truly faithful were not in a state of loving God, but rather of being loved by God. All they required was the word. And uh, I just uh, think that that's oftentimes where when people get really into, we're off the mark right now with the lectionary, but super, super devotional material, you just need to remind them of the Word and that it is Christ always coming to them, not them climbing the ladder. And I think going back to that Genesis passage, Uh, that is exactly what uh, Jesus means in John's Gospel when he says, you know, when he says to Nathaniel, he's like, you're impressed by this? Soon you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Because he says, you know, I saw you under the fig tree, which was um, what ancient uh, Jews actually believed Adam and Eve ate. They saw them under the fig tree being under sin. But uh, Christ always meets us in his word, and he's the one conforming and transforming us. Uh, because of his word through love, not the other way around.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. Well, uh, <laughs> and I think that moves us into, oh and I, we gotta We gotta, everybody, we gotta every, keep going.
1: Everybody stopped listening about six minutes ago, but that's fine. So anyway, that's we're not in Romans Ch-
0: <laughs> Would you like to read more quotes about Martin Luther? No, it's good. No, I'm good. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8 so this is uh, Paul continues his extended conversation about what do we think about the Christian life in light of the gospel if Jesus has forgiven us for everything what do we do and you know the charge of antinomianism and all of that sort of stuff Romans 7 was the I don't do the good things I want to do I keep doing the bad things that I don't want to do and who will rescue me and then he says it's Jesus and he's just continuing that conversation here and talking about living according to the the flesh or living according to the spirit uh, and being children of God. And this wonderful verse in 8, uh, verse 15, You do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father. And this is the gospel. And so many people feel like Christianity is enslavement, that Christianity is some sort of uh, um, rough road of um trying to make God happy through your good deeds, and what that leads to is fear, because if God might punish you um, for not being good enough, then you're afraid, and so you end up usually splitting your life. You have a public life, and you have a private life. You have the life that um, you don't want anybody to see, and you sort of think that God can't see. You compartmentalize your own brain, Um in your life and you say this is my sort of secret sinful place and I won't I mean that's all based in fear in the gospel you receive a spirit of adoption you're a beloved child of God and that's um, that's how you live out the Christian life is coming back again and again to that that's what it means to live by the spirit Um, the other way uh, the spirit of slavery is that life in the flesh Um, so Jake what would you want to say about this
1: yeah, I mean, I think it would go back to exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago. The yeah. To live according to the flesh is to live according to the law, to live according um, as a debtor, someone who owes something to God, and quite frankly, you can't pay it. You know, and this is the thing in Christianity, and this is the thing in religion in general. We're always trying to take something away from Jesus because he just wants to give us everything. You know he's too giving, he's too good, and uh, and so this is what this is kind of the the dichotomy that Paul is talking about. The um, to live under the flesh is to try and give something back to God, when quite frankly He's given you everything. So just live. Who? What was that guy? Uh, um, uh, Schaefer. He said, "How now shall we live?"
0: Yeah, Francis and, uh, Schaefer. This
1: Francis Schaefer. How now shall we live? Well, the real answer is in the Spirit, in total freedom. For it is for free that Christ has set you free. Now, this freedom um, this freedom doesn't mean an escape from suffering. We're not talking about escapism, nor are we talking about naivete, because um, St. Paul goes on to say, I consider that the present sufferings of this time are not compared with the glory about to be revealed to us. You know, so this, is, this isn't escapism, but it is a new reality living in the old.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, that Paul is addressing, because he's writing to the Romans, the church in Rome, these Christians. He's never met. He's not been there. He wants to go there. He will eventually end up there and will meet them um, while he's under house arrest. Uh, but while he's writing this now, he's kind of using this letter to the Romans to to address his own critics. And one of the things that his critics might say is... Um, Uh, they might be critical of the fact that there is so much suffering in Paul's life. If Paul is really this messenger of the gospel, this kind of last born of the apostles, why would he get shipwrecked four times? Why would he get beaten so much? Why would he be so poor? Why would he be such a, uh, you know, Danny DeVito type character? Um, Nothing much to look at, nothing to see here, folks. And and Paul is saying, look, if we are joint heirs with Christ— If we are God's children, then we will suffer just like Christ did. This is normal. And again, this is the thing that I think Christians in this country forget a lot, is that suffering is part and parcel of, well, life, but also the Christian life. Christians don't get a pass from this. And this is where Paul begins to explain that the the fall, which we often think of in terms of human sinfulness— affects the entire creation. The whole creation is long and the whole creation is subjected to futility. I mean, haven't you felt that, listener? Haven't you felt at points like your life is sort of futile or you try to plant a, a garden. Everybody wants to have these raised bed gardens and it's like great for the first week and then the whole thing is weeds and your tomatoes get eaten by the squirrels. And I speak from personal experience. Um, the whole creation is subjected to futility and um, not, just, not just sin in your own life. And so... Uh, These labor pains. So anyways, all this is to say is Paul is trying to give an answer to why is there suffering in the ongoing life of the Christian, even if that Christian is a child of God. And this is what he addresses here. And I think the message for your congregation, who is absolutely suffering right now, because we all are always, but especially, gosh, so much going on now, globally, nationally, and locally, to be able to say that God knows and sees uh, and that there is hope because God will set the creation free from its bondage, just like he's done that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
1: That's absolutely, that's great. You know, the resurrection enables us to, um, to hope. Um, it's, the, it's the pagan and uh, the, um, the Aristotelian who wants to go by what you see. But um, as Christians, this is Paul's point. We have to go by what we have heard. And what we have heard is clear in Romans cha- the early part of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, this present suffering, this is part of the old Adam and the old creation dying away. And the glory that is to come, uh, well, um, we've only heard it, uh, and that has been Christ who's had his glory and he's been crowned. You haven't yet, but it's coming, my friend. And so you can sit in the midst of quarantine, you can sit in the midst of a lost job in the hope of the gospel that this all too shall be Mm -hmm. made right. That's right, and so
0: this is Jesus telling the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or if you have an old-school King James Bible, the wheat and the tares, T-A-R-E-S. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, meaning the world inhabited by God's children when God is in charge, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he says this amazing thing. It's like good seed in a field and weeds or tares sowed among the field. Now, this was an actual thing that was done in the ancient world. If you really wanted to get back at somebody, it was included in Roman law as an illegal thing. This was prohibited in Roman law. Tares are the kind of um, weeds that are talking about. This is not just talking about dandelions or milkweed or something like that. Crabgrass. This is talking about a uh, plant that looked exactly like wheat until you harvested it. You could not tell the difference. And so this, this trickster, this prankster, this person comes and sows this, uh, and so they grows, grows up. And, and so in verse 27, it says, the slaves of the householder came and said, a master, did you not sow good seed in your field? What, where then did these weeds come from? This happens, this obviously would happen at the end as you're almost getting ready to harvest. And you notice that everything has been messed up because somebody sowed these, these non-wheat, plants there. And the response is, no, you don't gather, try to pull the weeds out, because if you try to pull the weeds out, you'll pull the wheat out as well. You both grow until the harvest and the harvest time, then you'll kind of separate the two. And this, Jesus does give an explanation of this. He says, you know, I'm Jesus, I'm the one that sows the good seed and the children of the kingdom are the wheat, but the enemy sows the bad seed. And he says the reapers are the angels, and this is the you know the thing about this is the church often wants to pull the wheat or the weeds out now. Um, uh, I don't know if you found this in your experience in Christian communities, Jake, but it does seem to me that there's a lot of people looking around the field and trying to identify where the weeds are and eject them from the community.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, this is a very powerful, powerful um, uh, gospel that relates to what we're going through right now as we speak. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm getting mailings all the time about the end times and eschatology and all of this stuff and how we're approaching the end of days. And you're absolutely right. At the end of days, we want to purify ourselves and sort the good from the bad. And uh, fun fact: the weed was actually called a darnel. And um, yes. So for everybody who wants to know. So, but um, this Jesus here is talking about the end of the age, and uh, it's remember, it's God who's going to do the sorting. You know, it's not the Marine Corps kill them all and let God sort them out. Um, it's uh, but God will sort them out um, at the end of the age, not you. And so what this enables. Us to do, and uh, this is um, this enables us to treat people with charity. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we don't have a closed understanding of the end, nor do we have a closed understanding of who's in the church or who belongs to the elect. Um, uh, rather, this is, um, this is we're able to treat people charitably because it's God at the end who knows, not us. Right. And so there's a, there's a, this, this should engender a graciousness as we evangelize and move forward, knowing that, you know, it's really God who picks and sorts them out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the whole way Jesus tells the story is to make clear the point. His, his audience would have gotten this, is that you actually can't tell the difference between the weeds and the wheat. And this is another way of telling— like, I mean,
1: I've seen, I've seen you, Aaron, in the grocery store, <laughs> and um, I, I can't tell the difference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Jake. Thank you. That's right. And so, uh, I look so wheaty. Um, But yeah, that's the thing. If you think you, you know who the weeds are in the church, look out. Christian. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is saying... Pull the log out of your own eye. That's right. And so, you know, um, Alan Jacobs, uh, uh, a wonderful writer and member of St. Albans, Waco, has said that any Christian institution that spends more time worrying about the sins of others is to be suspect because Jesus' command is to look at the log in your own eye as opposed to the plank in others. And there's a lot of people out there that do not, they're very good at identifying specks in other people's eyes. They're not so good at acknowledging the log in their own. And this affects our political discourse, our civil discourse, all kinds of things. So I think... um, this is another way of Jesus expressing the same thing, saying you actually cannot really tell the difference here between uh, the wheat and the weeds, and so for you the point is to worry about your own business, not the business of others, and uh, and trust God.
1: And this and this is a path. The pastors listening and the and the clergy listening, this will enable you to deal with because there's a lot of conflict over the current political situations, and it's only going to get worse in your church. But to teach your congregation to handle each other charitably, you know, in, um, and to be gracious to one another. Um, because um, in this age, we treat everybody as wheat. You know, what does St. Paul see, say um, in his letter to the Corinthians? You know, uh, we used to go by what we could see, but not any longer, because so we regarded Christ that way. You know, um, mm. uh, this is, we, we handle people charitably, and we treat everybody Every, all of our neighbors as if they are wheat. What's that uh, great line from Benedict? We treat everybody who comes through our doors as if they are Christ himself. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, sort of kind of bring the whole imitatio full circle. Um, you know, Benedict, I like that line because it's yeah. reflective of the openness that the gospel enables us to have with people.
0: Right, and isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ does not here say, the kingdom of heaven is like a field of wheat that is sown, and the devil comes to sow his, his weeds, and we kick him out before he does it. Jesus actually acknowledges the yeah. fact that in the kingdom of God, you have both at the same time. That's an incredible statement to me, and I think of all the mm. Christian communities that are started, in a sense, to separate themselves from the world, to try to go be a community of only wheat, and yet Jesus says, the kingdom of God, wherever you've got it, you're going to have wheat and weeds together. And so whether you go to a monastic hermitage up on a mountain or whether you uh, go to some sort of summer mission trip or whether you join a church that you think is perfect. And pastors, you know this, too. And you've seen this in your churches recently because everybody's anxious and all this stuff comes out more when there's anxiety uh, that we're all swimming in. Uh you, uh, you have absolutely seen that there were some people that you thought were wheat, but maybe they're weeds, although you don't really know. Um, so this is par for the course. Don't be surprised when people you thought were wheat are weeds, and
1: don't be surprised when people who you thought were weeds are actually wheat, because uh, this is the kingdom of God. That's a that's a profoundly illustrated in Viking season four. <laughs> I want to say roughly um, uh, episode uh, like uh, six through ten, where uh, the, one of the main characters Floki discovers Iceland, and uh, he takes a group of Vikings who want to remain pure to the old gods to Iceland to worship, and they're going to have this perfect utopian community, and it completely breaks down. They, go, you know, he's like, "We're not going to practice our old ways of killing each other," and uh, immediately they start killing. Each other because in this age um, there's a little there's we are both simultaneously wheat and weed at the same time. That's right. So we're gonna let God we're gonna let God sort that out, and we're going to continue as Christians, not as Viking pagans, but as Christians, absolve sinners, mm-hmm. um, completely open to knowing that God knows what's right, and He has commanded us to forgive sins, and that's your job. So forgive sins and pronounce to everyone in that church that they are wheat and God will do the work.
0: Yeah, the entire 19th century of American history is littered with utopian communities that failed. Uh, a lot of them up where yeah. you are right now, Jake, in upstate New York, and yep. but all over the country. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we went to seminary in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, and there were the Harmonist Society that was right there. Their buildings are still there, but nobody's left in, the, in that mm-hmm. sect. And the entire project was we can leave the world behind and be pure. And it never works. Uh, and not to say that there are not good things about those communities, but uh, you have a too high anthropology. And what this uh, teaching mm. here shows us is that uh, Christians have a properly low anthropology, which, as you said, gives us the ability to be gracious and compassionate to people, not surprised mm. when they show us their humanity, their weediness, yeah. and um, mm. and to offer the gospel, the main thing, to everybody, which is why the, the Capitol Hill... Uh, autonomous zone Chaz or Chop or whatever I'm sympathetic with the goals of that movement but it won't work either because human beings just like Burning Man everybody there also still a sinner you know they have no Mm -hmm. money in Burning Man but they do have to charge for one thing which is water so the one thing that people actually need (laughs) you need money to buy because people are still people Uh, so yeah beware of uh, utopian communities know that we're all sinners but we're all beloved by God
1: And I read that uh, that uh, Benedict community in Oklahoma—they actually started eating each other two weeks ago. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great
0: note to end on. Just a little, yeah. Just a little. uh, But uh, uh, utopian
1: communities never work either. But so be open with each other. God bless you, and keep preaching.